For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. Okay, uh, welcome everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, particularly want to welcome, we have a couple of distinguished guests, Ann Overton and Peter Overton from Berkeley. Anne is a former Eno Atasahara, a while back, lived in Japan a long time. Peter is a teacher at Berkeley Zen Center. So good to see you here, both. So today is, um, amongst other things, Hiroshima Day, the anniversary of the U.S. government dropping the atom bomb on Hiroshima in 1945, and three days later on Nagasaki. <clears throat> so I want to talk about that, but also um, I'm going to come back to Dogen. And uh, we have some new people here. I don't know if you're, if you're new to Soto Zen as well as the Ancient Dragon, but Dogen is the 13th century a uh, Japanese monk who went to China and brought back this lineage of Buddhism, now called Soto Zen, uh, and had many writings, but basically thought about just sitting. This Zazen practice we do to enact and express Buddha awareness. And I'll come back to him, but uh, I want to talk about Hiroshima and also uh, the current nuclear dangers. And uh, this week I saw the movie Oppenheimer. They sometimes do movie reviews here. Uh, I highly recommend it. Um, it's long, but it doesn't feel long. It's um, talking about the development of the atom bomb during World War II. Um, and uh, a few of us were up in Evanston yesterday um, after yesterday morning uh, at an event organized by Buddhist Peace Fellowship, Chicago and Chicago Area Peace Action, among others, to commemorate uh, Hiroshima Day. And uh, for people, we have numbers of people from Hyde Park. There's an event there um, this afternoon at 5 p.m. at uh, the Henry Morse sculpture at the site where Enrico Fermi led the first nuclear fission, which is also uh, part of the film. Uh, so, um, so to start with the, the atom bomb, um, many historians now say that We did not need to drop the atom bomb on Japan. Japan was already preparing to surrender, but that Truman did it uh, as a warning to uh, Russia, mm -hmm. uh, which was developing the atom bomb also, um, to the Soviet Union. Um, and uh, this killed killed many, many people, hundreds of thousands of people, immediately in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and, uh, and thereafter, many people from radiation sickness for some time thereafter, and affected uh, the world. Uh, we are lucky that it's the only time that a bomb has been dropped, nuclear bomb has been dropped on this planet. We've had many, many, many near misses. So we've been real lucky. And to say about the situation now, there are over 13,000 nuclear weapons on our planet, 90% of which are possessed by the United States or Russia. Um, if detonated, only a small fraction of these bombs could kill billions of people effectively end human civilization as we know it. 
nuclear weapons don't make us safe, nor do they deter or prevent war. That the greatest threat to our security and survival as a species, and today the threat of nuclear war is perhaps greater than it's ever been. So there are a number of things uh, that um, people don't know about the United States government's nuclear policy. Uh, one is that we have a policy of first use, that we have announced that we will use uh, nuclear weapons before anyone else, before anyone else if we see fit in a given situation. Also, that uh, there's unchecked launch authority, and it's not just the President of the United States, but many people lower down in the military chain of command who have the capacity to launch nuclear attacks. There are also the nuclear weapons are on hair trigger alert. So uh, in the event of a misunderstanding, something that looks like a, uh, a missile or nuclear attack, these, these weapons could be launched immediately. Uh, so, uh, and now there's uh, a nuclear weapons race between, well, promoted by the United States, but of course, Russia and China. So we're in a really difficult situation. And uh, there are dangerous situations in the Ukraine, in the China Sea, many places where things could go wrong. So the only safeguard is to eliminate nuclear weapons. And there is a nuclear treaty that other countries besides those with nuclear weapons have signed to, to not have nuclear weapons. So we're in a difficult situation. And I don't say this to scare anybody because that, you know, that's not the point. Uh, although we might be afraid of this, but um, to be aware So Buddhism is about awareness. Our practice is about awareness on many levels. The Bodhisattva practice that we do here, which is about universal awakening, not just self-help, not just becoming completely awakened myself or myself, but that we do this together in Sangha and recognizing the situations of the world. So to be aware of what's happening is... Um, important for us. And awareness itself is transformational and has the capacity to change things. So I, I want to uh, talk about something in my childhood. When I was in grade school, way back in the late 50s, before most of you were born, anyway, um, <laughs> uh, in, some in some places, grade school students were supposed to, we, there, there were, we had what were called air raid drills, as well as fire drills. Fire drills were just left the building. Air raid drills, well, in many places, people, uh, students were supposed to duck under their, under their desk, just to get under their desk as if that would protect them from an atom bomb. These air raid drills were really atom bomb drills. In my school, um, somehow we did something different. We went down to the basement and there was an atom bomb air raid drill, and we all stood around the perimeter of the basement facing the wall. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we did that. You did that too? That's scary. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, Eve and I were both in, doing this in Pittsburgh. Anyway, um, so years later, <laughs> I remembered that vividly. After several years of a Zazen practice with the Japanese Soto Zen priest in New York City, I moved to San Francisco and, and started practicing again at the San Francisco Zen Center. And at the city center in the basement was this wonderful Zendo on Page Street. And we would sit on platforms 
Adrian Ann probably remember this, facing the wall. And at some point I remember, oh, this is like those air raid drills. <laughs> and um, I remember some, er, some of my early sessions there, where we sit for, sat for seven days. I, would have, I had an intense pain in my legs or elsewhere. And I, it occurred to me that Zen was Japan's, American Zen was Japan's revenge against Americans. <laughs> revenge against Americans for Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Maybe it was also penance. Maybe doing this. So, of course, Zazen does not need to be painful. It takes a while to settle in. And uh, Zazen, Dogen says, is the gateway to repose and bliss, to peace and joy. And yes, I would say it is. But <laughs> that's a long process. So, Zazen is about, maybe it's penance in a way. But it's also about just being present and upright and paying attention to whatever comes up. And through that, we express and enact Buddha. We express and enact the awareness and insight of Buddha, not just Buddha as some guy who lived 2,500 years ago in Northeast India, but Buddha as the reality of awakening everywhere, and including on our seats and our bodies, our hearts and minds. So, uh, this connection between Japan and America is really interesting. Um, I think emotion is relevant. Uh, some of us really like Japanese culture and rock gardens and flower arranging and tea and Anne became an expert in paper folding and origami and she lived in Japan. Um, and we, for a couple of years I lived near her in Kyoto. It was wonderful. Um, but Zosan is complicated and it requires you know, from the first time one sits upright, one can feel what I've come to call wholeness, just that everything's okay. That it's okay to be this person on my seat, together with all these people in this sangha. Sazan has that power to just allow us to feel that our life is, I don't know, there's lots of things to say, none of them catch it. Some, that our life is meaningful and we can choose to make it meaningful. And for anyone who does visit Japan, going to Hiroshima is a powerful experience. To see the remains of the building. Anyway, there's, there's a lot to say about Hiroshima. Uh, this horrible event. And again, we've been, uh, we as human beings have been lucky. And we're in the danger of nuclear you know, with the, with the conflict in Ukraine and Russia and the United States both being involved, really. Uh, anyway, it's a dangerous situation. But Sazen practice works over time, just showing up every day or many days a week, sitting, just sitting like this. And it's not about reaching some special state of super awakening or something like that. Although I think many Americans have been enticed into saying by, by such ideals and inspirations. But just to be present, 
this body, this mind, together with all of us. And over time, doing that, we start to see our own ancient twisted karma, our own habits. So in the in the Heart Sutra, it talks about the five skandhas, forms, feelings, perceptions, impulses, consciousness. The second one, feelings, is not about emotions as we think of it. It's just about positive, negative, or neutral feelings. And we all have that. So to see our own patterns and habits of we could call it delusion, or we could just call we don't have to call it anything, just our own patterns of and habits of how we think about ourselves and the world. To really acknowledge that is a big part of, of sustained Zazen practice over time. So we do a chant um, at the beginning of our services, all my ancient twisted karma from beginning must greed, hate, and delusion born through body, speech, and mind, are now fully avowed. So this avowal or this acceptance or this uh, just uh, acknowledging that we have, each of us, in our own way, through our own past actions and thoughts and so forth, particular habit patterns, particular ways of being caught in how we think about ourselves and the world. And the world has this too. Of course, our country has ancient twisted karma from the history of slavery and racism. Although, you know, there's now this move by some of the politicians of cruelty to eliminate the history of Slavery, to my racism, it's, slavery was actually good for the slaves. Anyway, you might hear this. Um, part of our practice is repentance. This isn't how we usually think about Zen. Zen is about various, you know, practice and awakening and, you know, illumination and, Anyway, uh, but actually, Dogen talks about repentance practice. So later on in our service, we're going to chant one of Dogen's writings, the Ehe Kosovo which is one of the things we sometimes chant. It's his writing on his words for arousing the vow. And I'm just going to quote from some of the last part of that. He says, venerating Buddhism ancestors, we are one with Buddhism ancestors. Contemplating awakened, awakening mind, we are one with awakened mind. He talks about that uh, in the past, Buddhism ancestors also practiced this, and, and now we can do that as well. He says, concluding this, quietly studying and mastering causes and conditions. One is fully informed by the verified Buddhas. So this is one description of Sazen, but it's also sustained Sazen, quietly, studying, mastering. Our causes and conditions. One is fully informed by the verified Buddhas. With this kind of repentance, certainly will come the inconceivable guidance of Buddha ancestors. That phrase, inconceivable guidance of Buddha ancestors, uh, I hadn't heard in American Zen, but actually it's part of Dogen's early teachings that when we put ourselves in this position of Zazen, everything in the universe, everyone, everyone in the Sangha, but trees and birds and lakes and mountains and rivers and everything supports us in guides us beyond our concept, beyond how we can conceive or perceive it, to awakening. And, and that, that's, that happens with this kind of repentance, with acknowledging and vowing our ancient twisted karma. 
He says, confessing to Buddha with mindful heart and dignified body, the strength of this confession will eradicate the roots of wrongdoing. So we don't think of confession as a Zen practice. And it's not this, it's not like going in and seeing a priest and, and you know confessing your sins. Um, confession and repentance mean something different in Western religions. But just to acknowledge all my ancient twisted karma from beginning this pre-date and delusion. And to uh, kind of allow that to be present in our zazen when it comes up. The body, speech, and mind we now fully avow. So to, to acknowledge that we are karmic beings, that we're caught in uh, the web of causation, is this practice. And uh, acknowledging or avowing that we do have, well, I, I won't, I shouldn't speak for everyone, but, but many of us have made mistakes in our lives. Maybe there are people here who have not, and bless you. But um, just acknowledging that can transform our heart. So this practice of repentance is not passive. It's an active practice. It's related to another um, important Buddhist practice, skillful means. Which is to say, when we see this ancient twisted karma in ourselves and in our society, how do we respond? How do we how do we uh, help awaken all beings? How do we help to uh, prevent harm or to act to mitigate harm? And this applies to our own, you know, as we look back on our life, or even as we look back on our activity in the last week, how do we uh, acknowledge this? And repentance is not to uh, beat yourself up about it, but, okay, what do we do? What are the skillful means? And there's not a formula for this. This involves patience and attention. And seeing, seeing how we feel, seeing how others feel, listening to others. Listening is so important. And part of skillful means is that we make mistakes. Or most of us, again, maybe, maybe there's someone who's never made a mistake, and that's fine. But... Um, how do we acknowledge and avow and pay attention to those mistakes and learn from them? And it's not that we fix everything, you know, it's not about that. It's not about getting some, you know, reaching some perfect place. It's about just acknowledging oh, that was a mistake. And there's also the practice of making the right mistakes. Some mistakes are helpful. Some mistakes cause more harm. So active repentance is to learn from our mistakes. And for our country, uh, looking back on Hiroshima, how do we change? Our policies so that we're not in danger of more nuclear weapons, more nuclear 
attacks. Again, there have been many, historically, there have been many, 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 very close near misses, historically, since Hiroshima, when nuclear weapons were almost launched. We've been very lucky. Oh, and I was going to um, also read a passage from the Avatamsaka Flower Island Sutra, which is very, very important in Soto Zen. It's one, one of many scriptures that are important, but this, uh, the Huayan school that developed from the sutra in China, um, it's very influential on Dogen's attitude and Soto Zen attitude towards practice. So, a few little passages. First, it says, you should arouse the determination for unexcelled, complete, perfect awakening, purify your minds, lead well-behaved lives, and repent of and get rid of all obstructions due to past actions and other constructions. So, you know, sometimes we can get rid of some habits. I've told the story about how I quit smoking a month after I started seeing Sazen every day, just because I enjoyed my breathing and didn't want to <laughs> smoke anymore. So, so some habits go away, can go away, even addictive habits. And some are just so deep that they're always there. But how do we not get caught by them? How do we not react to them? How do we not act on these old habits and patterns. A little further uh, in this passage in the Flower and the Sutra, it says, um, uh, the assembly asked the, the uh, Bodhisattva giving these teachings, Well, they attained unprecedented wonder and were very joyful. Then they asked, how does the great awakening being repent of and get rid of all faults? The awakening being, and part of the response was, the awakening being knows that conditioning, conditioning acts do not come from any particular location. Yet they accumulate and dwell in the mind. They come only from delusion and have no abode. The awakening being clearly sees this with certainty and has no doubts or confusion. So, uh, so. Uh, to speak of sentient, of sentient beings, covetousness, wrath, and delusion, and their various actions, yet there really is no self or possession. All actions performed, the resulting consequences of the paths of transmigration cannot be found wherever you may seek, just as my voice is not born and does not perish. So, um, this is just to say that these patterns can be very deep in our hearts and minds, and to witness them and to acknowledge them to ourselves, and maybe sometimes to others, to admit to having made mistakes. This practice helps us to be more fully awake and aware and kind and helpful to others and to ourselves. So maybe I'll stop there. And I'm interested in any responses any of you have about repentance or about Hiroshima or about Japan or anything else. So thank you very much. Oh, maybe you can help me call on people online. Mm -hmm. So comments, responses, please feel free. Yes. 
And could you say your name, please? Justin. Hi, Justin. Uh, and could you speak up so they can hear Yes, uh, I've read a couple of your uh, responses to films, and I was I saw, also seen Oppenheimer. Your, your story about the face in Pittsburgh, and I was just thinking that the connection with the word refuge is just too much to pass up. Yes. Uh, being that you were in refuge from the world around you. Um, so I'd love to hear a name that possibly uh, had some complete thoughts. Yeah, thank you. Yes. So this is definitely, this practice for repentance is uh, definitely related to taking refuge, which is a uh, a major practice in all of Buddhism, to, to, to take refuge, to return home, to Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. Uh, does anyone not know what those words mean? Just to, just to say Buddha is the awakened one, but the awakening in everything, the awakened aspect of all beings in all situations. Dharma is the teaching of the truth about this. And Sangha is community. So we have this Sangha here. It's wonderful Sangha here. And... Uh, there are many songs. So wherever you find community that is nourishing, that's this treasure of Sangha. And so to return to, to return home to that is, uh, in some way, uh, repentance. It's 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 uh, acknowledging that we do have ancient twisted karma and that we can um, go beyond that. So yeah, that's a formal practice that we do here, uh, sometimes chanting the refuges, but also um, we, we have lay ordination and priest ordination and so forth. David, I can't see if you're wearing a rock, so yes. So David Ray is one of the three people who has recently received lay ordination here and took refuge formally um, last month. So yeah, thank you for mentioning that. That's important. That, you know, and part of taking taking refuge is to look and see what do we take refuge in? What movies do we take refuge in? <laughs> and there are a lot of good ones. I also saw Barbie this week, which I also <laughs> I also recommend. Uh, it's uh, smarter than you know it might seem. <laughs> and, and, and very political. Very yeah. Yes, Eve, hi. Um, yeah, I I mean, I'm a little younger than you, but my principal was older, which is, I think, why, you know, we, we did, um, when I was in grade school, we, we went downstairs and, and went against the wall. But it didn't really feel like much of a refuge because, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, and, and I, think, I, I think it's interesting to consider what <clears throat> living in the shadow of the bomb did to those of us who grew up with it. And so that's our generation and every generation since. And I know for me, it kind of worked my development. I mean, I, I, because I learned about nuclear fission before I learned about sex and I'm not, and I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about experientially. I mean, I genuinely didn't know. I knew, I knew like there was something about the sperm and the egg, but nobody explained it to me, but they explained nuclear fission, which is weird (laughs) when you think about it. It is weird. And, um, and so I, you know, I was afraid and, and I didn't quite get that it was just the uranium atoms that split. I, and I'm not sure how I reconciled this with the fact they'd already set off the bomb, but maybe anyway, I, I remember thinking that, the world would unravel when from the, that atoms would split apart and, and everything would be destroyed. And um, actually, you know, that and the, the fear of, you know, like Jan's um, activism. I mean, for me, the, the, that, that knowledge of, of the possibility of nuclear war and annihilation, um, that's what led to me going into social science and, mm. and applied social science and feeling like, you know, we had all this um, technical knowledge, but we didn't understand how to govern ourselves peacefully. And, right. um, but um, I don't know. So, I, yeah, I, I just wanted to say that I think, I think it, it and, and my mother, you know, before, I was born before she was married. You know, she spent time in Japan, so 
I, I heard about Japan from when I was very little, and I, I have the poison a basis that she got there. Um, but um, so, I, I mean, I certainly never, you know, like demonized Japan or felt that there was enough reason to drop the bomb on them. But but anyhow, I, I guess I was just reflecting on what it what it does to to human consciousness and the development of ourselves to know that we live in the shadow of that kind of annihilation. Yes, thank you. Um, and I'll note that one of our samba members, Simona, is in Japan now. And if you once asked me in this, I think in this room, um, how did I come to Zen? And I think I answered Vietnam, but I could have said Hiroshima. So yes, we've lived in the shadow. Thank you. Other comments, responses? Oh, David, hi. Um, something that's been coming up for me a lot recently, um, partly because of work and uh, the work that I do, but um, something when Justin said, and, and you know, when you talked about taking refuge, I'll offer this as a question and you know, not just as a comment, but the word refuge, uh, I see more, not so much as, as taking refuge, but remembering connection. Uh, refuge is like, um, you know, it's myself, and I'm, you know, seeking safety for myself in a way. But I think maybe more important is for us to seek connection. And connection is, you know, so I am connected to Buddha, and I am connected to the Dharma, and I'm connected to to uh, to the Sangha, rather than seeking refuge and seeking my own safety, right. but rather acknowledging my own connection to all of those. And I think that's the part for me that is really, that I'm thinking a lot about recently. It's... it's there's a, 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 you know, a slight nuance that's different there. And um, I'd love to get your comments on that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so refuge is connected to the idea of sanctuary, you know, that, we, that we're safe. But I think it's more like, as I was calling it, returning home. And returning home means returning home to our connections with everything. I mean, not just connection, because it's not that we're separate, actually. We are, I mean, of course, we can feel separate and happens, but we are one with everybody in the Sangha, one with the whole situation of the world. We're not separate. Uh, so, yeah, so that, so that connection is important. Once uh, when Klaus Tanahashi was at our old Irving Park Zendo, somebody asked him, what is... In one word, what is the essence of Zen? He said, non-separation. Mm -hmm. He said, right away. Mm -hmm. So we're not separate. And uh, we're not separate from each other. We're not separate from ourselves. And repentance as a practice is really becoming aware of that. Becoming aware of that we think we're separate. We do. We have patterns of body, speech, and mind, and habits and experiences that make us feel separate. And, and and our practice is just how to heal that. So thank you very much, Jim. Hi, Anne. Uh, I said you take refuge in, in the movie, and I feel that way. I mean, I think it's important to learn the sutras and to listen to Dharma teachers. But there are people, you know, this expression, angels walk among us. Yes. There are people who don't know anything about Buddhism who are teachers for me. I took a computer yes. class. And the teacher was like, there's no uh, barrier between me. He used to teach computer skills to homeless people. And so I just wish you'd make some comments about, like, people don't know anything about Buddhism who are, are teaching me. And I feel like they, when people talk about Buddhism, they don't get, they don't get credit for those people, you know? That's what I want to say. Thank you. I very much agree. So I, I was talking last week about the ancestors. Uh -huh. So we talk about the Buddhists and ancestors. The ancestors 
you know, in this Zen form of some lineage going back to Shakyamuni Buddha 2,500 years ago in what's now northeastern India, and we have a bunch of names. And of course, in every generation, there were many teachers. And of course, we have all kinds of ancestors. Um, so, uh, in, in, in Japan, actually, in Japan, that's, it's a cultural thing that you connect with a particular lineage. Yeah. I don't know if there was a lineage of paper making that you were connected with when yeah. you're doing that, but there are martial arts lineages and there's cultural lineages. So, any, does, does anybody here like music? Well, whatever kind of music you like, there's a whole litany of ancestors who helped to bring that to you, or literature, or art, or social action. There are ancestors, and they're not just ancestors way back, you know, in India or China or Japan or New York or Europe or wherever. They're ancestors everywhere now. And I wrote an article about ancestors of the future. So we are living in this complex time that is not just about right now. And so, yes, yes, yes. It's not about Buddhism, you know. Buddhist, you know, institutions and, you know, are very fallible because they're made up of human beings. <laughs> so difficulties arise. Uh, but to look at who inspires you, what inspires you, and can you say one of your favorite movies? Oh, uh, at, at random. I can't even think. I want to see Oppenheimer very much. Uh, I read a book. It was not about Oppenheimer. It was somebody who, uh, when you came to Los Alamos, you had to come into Santa Fe, and somebody would arrange the rides there and mm-hmm. stuff. So she talked about. Um, the community and and Oppenheimer has a lot of stuff about Oppenheimer, but it's more like the vibes, what was going on in the group. And she said people wanted to be part of something Oppenheimer was doing. Yeah. And I felt also I've been working on trying to find forgiveness for someone who was a leader in my life a long time ago. And I felt also like him, you can't you can't help being who you are. You can change and you can learn things and all kinds of stuff, but you kind of can't help being who you are. And that was helping me in my path of trying to find forgiveness for someone. That he changed a lot. He did a lot of reflection on himself. But at a certain earlier in his life, he just is who he is, you know. And I felt that way kind of about Oppenheimer. He was just, yeah. you know, he made decisions and changed and thought deeply about things. But he is who he is. Yeah. So it's not about, you know... I mean, Buddhism is wonderful. I love the Dharma. I love Dharma studies. I just have to confess that. But, um, you know, there are all kinds of wonderful spiritual teachings. Oppenheimer was a Vedantist and was inspired by the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, There are many, many wonderful spiritual and cultural and artistic traditions, and and, and they're alive now. And the reason they're alive now is because of many things in the past and in the future. Looking back at us and encouraging us. That's how I see it. Other comments, responses, perspectives, questions? Oh, hi, Jen. Oh, hi. Uh, um, Hiroshima wasn't, and not exactly, weren't the only place we dropped bombs. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a new map of the United States showing the uh, the fallout from from uh, the Trinity explosion that was in the air and the 93 explosions that were in the air that were uh, perpetrated at the Nevada test site and Trinity is dwarfed uh, by this um, map of fallout. And and then we have to consider the in a way talk. Yeah, in a way talk and um, say it again. And bikini. Oh yeah, and yeah. bikini because bikini was where we dropped uh, Castle Bravo and um, and even with Trinity, the scientists were making bets 
as to whether it would set the atmosphere on fire. And Castle Bravo is included in a book called, I can't remember the name of the book, but... uh, uh, So Jen Jen is mentioning islands in the Pacific where we did nuclear tests. And and, uh, Castle Bravo is considered one of the five major uh, nuclear accidents in the world because it was so... The, the power of it was so unexpected and many scientists were just literally knocked against the wall because they thought they were in a protected place. And so I, I just um, think that we ought to consider the fact that uh, we bombed ourselves mm-hmm. as well as the Japanese yes. and other people. And other people. And um, uh, um, I wanted to say something personal. And, and that is, I learned something this week, being that, you know, sometimes I feel guilty about what makes me laugh. And I think, how could you think that was funny? And I be- realize that I laugh at things that are ironic. And every time you laugh, it's not because something is funny. And so I kind of eased my conscience about laughing at things because I got a letter from a woman who was all ready to go on a trip. She was going to a family reunion with misgivings because these members of her family were anti-vaxxers, et cetera. And um, she had to cancel her trip on the very day because they'd all gotten COVID. And so that made me laugh. And I thought, that's not funny. (laughs) And and so I, I just wanted to say that as a personal thing that I learned. Um, Thank you for your confession. Yes. <laughs> and um, and then I wanted to say something political, if it's okay. Sure. And that is that this weekend is the weekend of the Hiroshima bombing. And it's a time for Americans to contemplate, to repent, and to uh, be quiet and consider what has happened but in Chicago they planned Lollapalooza this weekend Mm -hmm. and I was really offended by this Uh, I was listening to um, uh, Raphael on WFMT and the very first piece that he played was called Lollapalooza and it was in recognition of Lollapalooza that was taking place this weekend and I don't and I listened to most of the rest of the show, he never mentioned Hiroshima and that this was the same weekend as Hiroshima. And I feel that we are depriving people of their memory by not uh, acknowledging a weekend or a day or a couple of days, three probably, where we need to be silent. Mm-hmm. We need to think and instead of distracting ourselves with bread and circuses, if you'll pardon the expression. So, um, okay, and then I'm going on to one other subject. I did not like Oppenheimer, and that is because of the way the story was presented. It was way too uh, bombastic for me, if you, and that is definitely a pun. And I felt really offended by the presentation um, and so uh, another repentance that I have is, is my picky picky about negative things the the organist at the music box played Will Meet Again as the last selection on his concert and the audience did not recognize that Will Meet Again was the last scene in Dr. Strangelove, How I Learned to Quit Worrying and Love the Bomb. And Vera Lynn singing this song that just makes you cry. And the audience had no idea. They They were too young to remember this and this the the organist bringing this up just before the movie of Oppenheimer um, uh, was not recognized, and I really have to. That's it. 
Thank you for listening to me. Thank you, Jen. Jen is one of our Shanga activists, and I want to thank you for all that. And just to say a little bit, um, just that Trinity is kind of at the center of the Oppenheimer movie. Yeah, that, that movie is might be criticized in various ways, but it but it's an education about that period and part of what's happening now. I've talked about how we have politicians who promote caring and politicians who promote cruelty. And some of the politicians of cruelty now are trying to erase our history and this is dangerous. So to know about our history is important. Not to ban books. One of my favorite books is Beloved by Toni Morrison. It's banned in I don't know how many states. Um, Anyway, um, so talking, so I sometimes talk about history, <laughs> and I like history, and we need to know, so this, is, this goes back to ancient twisted karma. We need to know our own personal history, and acknowledge a vow, and, and sometimes repent, and we know, need to know our cultural history, and um, to think that slavery was beneficial to the slaves is just, it's, it's crazy, and so we need to respond to cruelty with caring. And, and, and thank you for mentioning, by the way, Jan. Jan is an anti-nuclear power activist as well. And so along with Hiroshima, we've had Chernobyl and Three Mile Island and Fukushima, which is still leaking. Uh, Gorbachev said that Chernobyl was why the Soviet Union collapsed. And it's in Ukraine. And uh, so this is a current issue in that war. They're uh, the largest nuclear power plants in Europe or in Ukraine. So, yeah, and the, and the, the shell that they put to supposedly um, protect the environment against the, the, the um, irradiated contents at the bottom of the lagoon and in in bikini um it's they recently it's it's been leaking so so much for containment yeah right yeah we don't know what to do with nuclear weapons there's another comment <coughs> peter hi hi um thank you very much for speaking about all the things that you're raising can you speak up for the people thank online? You for speaking about all the things <coughs> raising them i think of it reminded me of how I became aware of what actually happened in Hiroshima. I was about 12 years old. And uh, for whatever for whatever whether it's because I was in a, growing up in a community where uh, the fishing was dependent, so to speak, or realized. And for some reason I wanted to know something more about uh, what happened in Hiroshima. And I found myself taking a book off my school library's uh, John Herzog's book, which was the sort of first explication that was available to the public about what actually came down. Yes. I'm sure it's not complete. But the, uh, I remember reading it. And just sort of like, I, I could only read so much of it. It's just when I, Reflect on experiences. It's the horror of this event as people actually experienced it. Um, Describe their experiences at the time. It served me well in the sense that you know, it generated this question like, how could we do such a thing? Mm-hmm. How could we even think? About doing such things going forward. And, so, you know, I just wanted to share that on this moment because I appreciate everything. Thank you so much, Peter. Yes. Peter and Anne grew up in Hyde Park. We have a number of people from Hyde Park here today. Anyway, uh, I have one. You know, we forget. Things. Hiroshima was horrible. And I've been to the museum there. And one of the most impressive things for me that sticks in my mind 
there's a series of steps that was on the bank. It was a bank, and it was a series of steps going up. And all of the steps are charred to a dark brown, except this one little spot. It's almost like an oval, and it's a lighter color. And what it was, there was a person sitting on the steps. So he got incinerated, and those steps did not get the full brunt of the explosion, and that's why they are faded. Um, but it goes beyond Hiroshima. 100,000 people died in the firebombing of Tokyo and whatnot, and that the pilots actually got sick from the stench of burning flesh that came up to them, and that's been recorded. Dresden, I think it was 70,000 people died in the firebombing at Dresden. And some of them wasn't fire. They just died from lack of oxygen. The fire sucked up all the oxygen. So it's not so much Hiroshima. Hiroshima is bad. Nuclear will go along with all this. What is basic is what are we as a species doing to each other? This is the real crux. It's just that we have found more and more new technology to inflict pain upon each other. And that, I think, is a real crux that we have to really deal with. Granted, we have the Anabom, and it is horrible. And also, uh, to a certain extent, I disagree, having studied history. Um, And if you read Margaret Mead and how she was brought in, she wrote Chrysanthemum and the Sword about Japan. And um, in war, usually you get four casualties and one capture. And they brought her in because in World War II, they were killing a thousand Japanese and getting one capture, just way higher, because Japanese culture does not allow you to surrender. And there really was a fear that if they went in, and invaded Honshu, the main island, then a million people would die, Japanese and. So in a sense, Hiroshima was a sacrificial lamb for another 900,000 people. But it's still, the crux of it is, why are we doing what we do to each other? And why are we not connected to one another? And that to me is, you know, I grew up like you, duck and cover. (laughs) I remember the Nike missiles that used to be just south of Belmont Harbor that, you know, were protecting us from the Russians and their bombs. And every day, you know, my father would take me downtown and we'd go and we'd see these missiles. We're living with this fear. And I think it's that living with that fear has exacerbated our society that we are so under the threat of dying that we just think of ourselves and we don't think of each other and how we're related to one another, unfortunately. Um, but my, my biggest thing is, again, going back to what I said, for me, my megalomania, so to speak, my Moby Dick, <laughs> and I may have it, is the lack of connection and how we have to connect, connect, connect. And that's where I think the real the real crux of the issue is how can we do that? How can we do that? I was thinking as you were speaking, there's some value in looking very plainly at what actually happened, what people's actual experience was, to to gain some some sense of understanding about that. That's what that kind of thinking you're talking about leads to. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, David. Um, yeah, I uh, heard recently that well, now war in Ukraine and elsewhere is intentionally attacking civilians. That's that didn't happen according to one thing I, I saw recently before World War Two. Uh, so. Soldiers attacked other soldiers. Mm-hmm. Um, since World War II, all war is war uh, against civilians, against women and children, you know, and to a great extent. So, yeah, uh, all war is 
but for absolutely nothing. <laughs> um, and just one other thing that I was going to mention and didn't, you know, we had these air raid or atom bomb drills where we exerted got under desks or went down to the basement as if that would save us. Now I'm really horrified uh, that school children today have active shooter drills all the time. It's just it's horrible. Along with the atom bombs, we should get rid of assault rifles. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I, I feel so sad for children today. And their parents. And their parents. So anyway, this is... Uh, so we, we need to confess and repent that this is part of our lives. And we each have... We all have made mistakes, personally and our society... And so how do we heal that? That's the question. Yes. Thank you all.